Section 34 of Around the World on a Bicycle, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pamela Krantz. Around the World on a Bicycle, Volume 2 by Thomas Stevens. Chapter 17, Part 1 Through China daily rains characterize our voyage from singapore through the china sea rather unseasonable weather the captain says and for the second time in his long experience as a navigator of the china sea st elmo's lights impart a weird appearance to the spars and masts of his vessel the rain changes into misty weather as we approach the ladrone islands and emerging completely from the wide track of the typhoon's moisture-laden winds on the following morning we learn later upon landing at hong kong that they have been without rain there for several weeks it is my purpose to dwell chiefly on my own experiences and not to write at length upon the sights of hong kong and canton hundreds of other travellers have described them and to the average reader they are no longer unique several days delay is experienced in obtaining a passport from the viceroy of the two guangs and during the delay most of the sites of the city are visited the five-storied pagoda the temple of the five hundred genii the water clock the criminal court where several poor wretches are seen almost flayed alive with bamboos flower boats silk jade stone ivory carving shops temple of tortures and a dozen other interesting places are visited under the pilotage of the genial guide and interpreter ah kwan the strange boat population numbering according to some accounts two hundred thousand people is one of the most interesting features of canton life wonderfully animated is the river scene as viewed from the balcony of the canton hotel a hostelry kept by a portuguese on the opposite bank of the river from canton proper the consuls and others express grave doubts about the wisdom of my undertaking in journeying alone through china and endeavor to dissuade me from making the attempt opinion too is freely expressed that the viceroy will refuse his permission or at all events place obstacles in my way the passport is forthcoming on october twelfth however and i lose no time in making a start thirteen miles from canton i reach the city of forshan five minutes after entering the gate i am in the midst of a crowd of struggling pushing natives whose aggressive curiosity renders it extremely difficult for me to move either backward or forward or to do aught but stand and endeavor to protect the bicycle from the crush they seem a very good-natured crowd on the whole and withal inclined to be courteous but the pressure of numbers and the utter impossibility of doing anything or prosecuting my search for the exit on the other side of the city renders the good intentions of individuals wholly inoperative with perseverance i finally succeed in extricating myself and following in the wake of an intelligent-looking young man whom I fondly fancy I have enlightened to the fact that I am searching for the San Shui road. The crowd follow at our heels as we tread the labyrinthine alleyways that seem as interminable as they are narrow and filthy. Every turn we make I am expecting the welcome sight of an open gate and the green rice-fields beyond. 
when after dodging about the alleyways of what seems to be the toughest quarter of the city my guide halts and points to the closed gates of a court it now becomes apparent that he has been mistaken from the beginning in regard to my wants instead of taking me to the san shui gate he has brought me to some kind of a house san shui san shui i explain making gestures of disapproval at the house the young man regards me with a look of utter bewilderment and forthwith betakes himself off to the outer edge of the crowd henceforth contenting himself to join the general mass of open-eyed inquisitives another attempt to again enlist his services only results in alienating his sympathies still further he has been grossly taken in by my assumption of intelligence having discovered in me a jackass incapable of the forshan pronunciation of san shui he retires on his dignity from further interest in my affairs female faces peer curiously through little barred apertures in the gate and grin amusedly at the sight of a fine guay, as i stand for a few minutes uncertain of what course to pursue from sheer inability to conceive of anything else i seize upon a well-dressed youngster among the crowd tender him a coin and address him questioningly sanchway lo sanchway lo the youth regards me with monkeyish curiosity for a second and then looks round at the crowd and giggles nothing is plainer than the evidence that nobody present has the slightest conception of what i want to do or where i wish to go not that my pronunciation of san shui is unintelligible as i afterward discover but they cannot conceive of a fangue in the streets of foshan inquiring for san shui doubtless many have never heard of that city and perhaps not one in the crowd has ever been there or knows anything of the road as a matter of fact there is no road and the best anyone could do would be to point out its direction in a general way all this however comes with after knowledge imagine a lone chinaman who desired to learn the road to philadelphia surrounded by a dense crowd in the bowery new york and uttering the one word philadelphi and the reader gains a feeble conception of my own predicament in Forshan, and the ludicrousness of the situation. Finally, the people immediately about me motioned for me to proceed down the street. Like a drowning man, I am willing to clutch wildly even at a straw, in the absence of anything more satisfactory, and so follow their directions. Passing through squalid streets occupied by loathsome beggars, naked youngsters, slatternly women, matronly sows with udders of young pigs, and mangy pariahs, we emerge into the more respectable business thoroughfares again, traversing streets that I recognize as having passed through an hour ago. Having brought me here, the leaders in the latest movement seem to think they have accomplished their purpose leaving me again to my own resources yet again am i in the midst of a tightly wedged crowd helpless to make myself understood and equally helpless to find my own way three hours after entering the city i am following the fates only know whither the leadership of an individual who fortunately sabes a word or so of pidgin english and who really seems to have discovered my wants 
First of all, he takes me inside a temple-like building and gives me a drink of tea, and a few minutes respite from the annoying pressure of the crowds. He then conducts me along a street that looks somewhat familiar, leads me to the gate I first entered, and points triumphantly in the direction of Canton. I now know as much about the road to San Shui as I did before reaching Foshan, and have learned a brief lesson of Chinese city experience that is anything but encouraging for the future. The feeling of relief at escaping from the narrow streets and the garrulous, filthy crowds, however, overshadows all sense of disappointment. The lesson of Frishan, it is proposed to turn to good account by following the country paths in a general course indicated by my map from city to city, rather than to rely on the directions given by the people, upon whom my words and gestures seem to be entirely thrown away. For a couple of miles I re-traverse the path by which I reached Frishan before encountering a divergent pathway, acceptable as leading distinctly toward the northwest. The inevitable celestial is right on hand, extracting no end of satisfaction from following, shadow-like, close behind and watching my movements. Pointing along the divergent northwest road, I ask him if this is the Kun Lo to San Shui. For answer he bestows upon me an expansive but wholly expressionless grin, and points silently toward Canton. These repeated failures to awaken the comprehension of intelligent-looking Chinamen, or at all events to obtain from them the slightest information in regard to my road, are somewhat bewildering, to say the least. So much of this kind of experience crowded into the first day, however, is very fortunate, as awakening me with healthy rudeness to a realizing sense of what I am to expect. It places me at once on my guard, and enables me to turn on the tap of self-reliance and determination to the proper notch. Shaking my head at the almond-eyed informant who wants me to return to Canton, I strike off in a northwesterly course. The Chinaman grins and chuckles humorously at my departure, as though his risibilities were probed to their deepest depths at my perverseness in going contrary to his directions. As plainly as though spoken in the purest English, his chuckling laughter echoes the thought, You'll catch it, Mr. Fangway, before you have gone very far in that direction. You'll wish you had listened to me and gone back to Guangdong. The country is a marvelous field garden of rice, vegetables, and sugar-cane for some miles. The villages, with their peculiar characteristic Chinese architecture and groves of dark bamboo, are striking and pretty. The paths seem to wind about regardless of any special direction. The chief object of the road-makers would appear to have been to utilize every little strip of inferior soil for the public thoroughfare wherever it might be found. A scrupulous respect for individual rights and the economy of the soil has resulted in adding many a weary mile of pathway between one town and another. To avoid destroying the productive capacity of a dozen square yards of alluvial soil, hundreds of people are daily obliged to follow horseshoe bends around the edges of graveyards that after two hundred paces bring them almost to within jumping distance of their first divergence. Occasionally the path winds its serpentine course between two tall patches of sugar-cane, 
forming an alleyway between the dark green walls barely wide enough for two people to pass natives met in these confined passages as isolated from the eyes of the world as though between two walls of brick invariably recoil a moment with fright at the unexpected apparition of a fangway then partially recovering themselves they nimbly occupy as little space as possible on one side and eye me with suspicion and apprehension as i pass great quantities of sugar-cane are chewed in china both by children and grown people and these patches grown in the rich chujiao valley for the farshan canton and hong kong markets are worth the price of a day's journeying to see so marvellously neat and thrifty are they that one would almost believe every separate stalk had been the object of special care and supervision from day to day since its birth every cane garden is fenced with neat bamboo pickets to prevent depredation at the hands of the thousands of sweet-toothed kleptomaniacs who file past and eye the toothsome stalks wistfully every day after a few miles the hitherto dead level of the valley is broken by low hills of reddish clay and here the stone paths merge into well-beaten trails that on reasonably level soil afford excellent wheeling the hillsides are crowded with graves which instead of the sugar-loaf ant hillocks of the paddy fields assume the traditional horseshoe shape of the chinese ancestral grave on the barren gravelly hills unfit for cultivation the thrifty and economical celestial inters the remains of his departed friends although in making this choice he is supposed to be chiefly interested in securing repose for his ancestors souls he at the same time secures the double advantage of a well-drained cemetery and the preservation of his cultivable lands intact everything indeed would seem to be made subservient to this latter end every foot of productive soil seems to be held as of paramount importance in the teeming delta of the chujiao beyond the first of these cemetery hills peopled so thickly with the dead rise the tall pawn towers of the large village of chuan kong hoi the natural dirt paths enable me to ride right up to the entrance gate of the main street good-natured crowds follow me through the street and outside the gate of departure i favor them with a few turns on the smooth flags of a rice winnowing floor the performance is hailed with shouts of surprise and delight and they urge me to remain in chuan kong hoi all night an official in big tortoise-shell spectacles examines my passport reading it slowly and deliberately aloud in peculiar sing-song tones to the crowd who listen with all absorbing attention he then orders the people to direct me to a certain inn this inn blossoms forth upon my as yet unaccustomed vision as a peculiarly vile and dingy little hovel smoke-blackened and untidy as a village smithy half a dozen rude benches covered with reed mats and provided with uncomfortable wooden pillows represent what sleeping accommodations the place affords the place is so forbidding that i occupy a bench outside in preference to the evil-smelling atmosphere within as it grows dark the people wonder why i don't prefer the interior of the dimly lighted hittim my preference for the outside bench is not unattended with hopes that as they can no longer see my face my greasy-looking half-naked audience would give me a moment's peace and quiet 
nothing however is further from their thoughts on the contrary they gather closer and closer about me sticking their yellow faces close to mine and examining my features as critically as though searching the face of an image by and by it grows too dark even for this and then some enterprising individual brings a couple of red wax tapers placing one on either side of me on the bench by the dim religious light of these two candles hundreds of people come and peer curiously into my face and occasionally some ultra-inquisitive mortal picks up one of the tapers and by its aid makes a searching examination of my face figure and clothes mischievous youngsters with irreligious abandon attempt to make the scene comical by lighting joss sticks and waving bits of burning paper the tapers on either side and the youngsters irreverent antics with the evil spirit dispersing joss sticks make my situation so ridiculously suggestive of an idol that i am perforce compelled to smile the crowd have been too deeply absorbed in the contemplation of my face to notice this sideshow but they quickly see the point and follow my lead with a general round of merriment about ten o'clock i retire inside the irrepressible inquisitives come pouring in the door behind me but the hidden keeper angrily drives them out and bars the door several other lodgers occupy the room in common with myself some are smoking tobacco and others are industriously hitting the pipe the combined fumes of opium and tobacco are well-nigh unbearable but thera is no alternative the next bench to mine is occupied by a peripatetic vendor of drugs and medicines most of his time is consumed in smoking opium in dreamy oblivion to all else save the sensuous delights embodied in that operation itself occasionally however when preparing for another smoke he addresses me at length in about one word of pidgin english to a dozen of simon pure cantonese in a spirit of friendliness he tenders me the freedom of his pipe and little box of opium which is of course declined with thanks long into the midnight hours my garrulous companions sit around and talk and smoke and eat peanuts mosquitoes likewise contribute to the general inducement to keep awake and after the others have finally lain down my ancient next neighbor produces a small mortar and pestle and busies himself pounding drugs for this operation he assumes a pair of large round spectacles that in the dimly lighted apartment and its nocturnal associations are highly suggestive of owls and owlish wisdom the old quack works away at his mortar regardless of the approach of daybreak now and then pausing to adjust the wick in his little saucer of grease or to indulge in the luxury of a peanut such are the experiences of my first night at a chinese village hittim they will not soon be forgotten the proprietor of the hittim seems overjoyed at my liberality as i present him a ten-cent string of tsin for the night's lodging small as it sounds this amount is probably three or four times more than he obtains from his chinese guests the country beyond chuan kong hoi is alternately level and hilly the former highly cultivated and the latter occupied mostly with graves peanut harvest is in progress and men women and children are everywhere about the fields 
the soil of a peanut bed to the depth of several inches is dug up and all passed through a sieve the meshes of which are of the proper size to retain the nuts the last possible grain nut or particle of life-sustaining vegetable or insect life is extracted from the soil ducks and chickens being cooped and herded on the fields and gardens after human ingenuity has reached its limit of research big wooden pails of warm tea stand about the fields from which everybody helps himself when thirsty a party of peanut harvesters are regaling themselves with stewed turnips and tough underdone pieces of dried liver they invite me to partake handing me a pair of chopsticks and a bowl gangs of coolies strung in indian file along the paths are met carrying lacquerware from some interior town to fachan and canton others are encountered with cages of kittens and puppies which they are conveying to the same market these are men whose business is collecting these table delicacies from outlying villages for the city markets after the manner of egg and chicken buyers in america my course at length brings me to the town of sanaun on the south bank of the chujiao the river is here prevented from inundating the low country adjacent by strong levees along these are well tramped paths that afford much good wheeling as well as providing a well-defined course toward san shui after following the river for some miles however i conclude that its course is altogether more southerly than there is any necessity for me to go so crossing the river at a village ferry i strike a trail across country in a northwesterly direction that must sooner or later bring me to the banks of the pijiao san shui is at the junction of these two rivers the one flowing from west to east and the other from north to south by striking across country but one side of a triangle is traversed instead of the two formed by the rivers my objective point for the night is Wapau, the first town of any size up the pijiao a volunteer guide from one of the villages extricates me from a bewildering network of trails in the afternoon and guides me across to the bottom lands of the pijiao receiving a reward he eyes the piece of silver a moment wistfully puts it away and guides me half a mile farther pointing to the embankment of the pijiao in the distance ahead he presents himself for further reward receiving this he thereupon conceives the brilliant idea of piloting me over successive short stages with a view of obtaining tsin at the end of each stage john chinaman is no more responsible morally for the dark ways and vain tricks accredited to him in the western world than a crow is for the blackness of his plumage the desperate struggle for existence in this crowded empire that has no doubt been a normal condition of its society for ages has developed traits of character in these later generations which are as unchangeable as the skin of the ethiopian or the spots of the leopard either of these can be whitened over but not readily changed the same may be truthfully said of the moral leprosy of the average celestial here is a simple peanut farmer's son who knows nothing of the outer world yet no sooner does a stray opportunity present than he develops immediately financial trickery worthy of a constantinople guide 
the paths across the pijiao valley are more walls than paths often rising ten feet above the paddy fields and presenting a width of not more than two feet good riding however is happily found on the levees and a few miles upstream brings me to luapau the hittim at luapau is somewhat superior to that of yesterday it is a two-storied building and the proprietor hustles me upstairs in short order and locks me in this is to prevent any possible hostility from the crowd that immediately swarms the place for while i am in his house he is in a measure held responsible for my treatment the bicycle is kept downstairs where it performs the office of a vent for the rampant curiosity of the thousands who besiege the proprietor for a peep at me a little cup and a teapot of hot tea is brought me at once and my order taken for supper the characters on my limited written vocabulary proving invaluable as an aid toward making my gastronomic preferences understood a dish of boiled fish pickled ginger chicken entrees young onions together with rice enough to feed a pig form the ingredients of a very good chinese meal chopsticks are of course provided but as yet my dexterity in the manipulation of these articles is decidedly of the negative order and so my pocket knife performs the dual office of knife and fork for the rice one can use after a manner the little porcelain dipper provided for ladling an evil-smelling liquid over that staple bread there is none in china rice is the bread of both this country and japan during the night one gets a reminder of the bekjis of constantinople in the performances of a night policeman who passes by at intervals loudly beating a drum this together with roistering mosquitoes and a too liberal indulgence in strong tea banishes sleep to-night almost as effectually as the pounding of the old drug vendor's pestle did at Chuan Kong Hoi. The rooms below are full of sleeping coolies, cat and dog hucksters and travellers, when I descend at daybreak to start. The first two hours are wasted in wandering along a levee that leads up a tributary stream coming back again and getting ferried to the right embankment. The riding is variable, and the zigzagging of the levee often compels me to travel three miles for the gaining of one. My elevated path commands a good view of the traffic on the river, and of the agricultural operations on the adjacent lowlands. The boating scenes on the river are animated, and peculiarly Chinese. The northern monsoons, called typhoons in China, are blowing strongly downstream, while the current itself is naturally strong. Under the influence of wind and current combined, junks and sampans with butterfly sails all set are going downstream at racing speed. In striking contrast to these are the upstream boats, crawling along at scarcely perceptible pace against the current in response to the rhythmical movements of a line of men women and children harnessed one behind another to a long tow-line the water in the river is low and the larger boats have to be watched carefully to prevent grounding sometimes when the river is wide and the passable channel but a narrow place in the middle the tow people have to take to the water often wading waist-deep men and women are dressed pretty much alike 
but in addition to the broad-legged pantaloons and blue blouse the women are distinguished by a checked apron some of them wear broad bamboo hats while others wear nothing but nature's covering or perchance a handkerchief tied around their heads the traffic on the river is something enormous scores of boats dotting the river at every turn it is no longer difficult to believe the oft-heard assertion that the tonnage of china's inland fleet is equal to the ocean tonnage of all the world below me on the right the scene is scarcely less animated one would think the whole population of the country were engaged in pumping water over the rice fields by the number of tread wheels on the go one of the most curious sights in china is to see people working these irrigating machines all over the fields instead of the buffaloes of egypt and india everything here is accomplished by the labor of man the tread wheel is usually worked by two men or women who steady themselves by holding to a crossbar while their weight revolves the tread wheel and works a chain of water pockets the pockets dip water from a hole or ditch and empty it into troughs whence it spreads over the field the screeching of these wheels can be heard for miles and the grotesque chinese figures stepping up 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 in pairs yet never ascending the women singing in shrill falsetto voices and the incessant gabble of conversation makes a picture of industry the like of which is to be seen in no other part of the world end of section thirty four recording by pamela Krantz.